Welcome to Dental Dilemmas, brought to you by the ADA Council on Ethics, Bylaws, and Judicial Affairs. And I am your host, Alex Mellion. Today, we continue a series of episodes that were recorded live at the ADA's annual SmileCon meeting in Houston, Texas. Using the ADA's Code of Ethics and Professional Conduct, we will analyze one of the Council's most popular ethical moments. The ethical moment was posed by Dr. Kennedy Merritt and Dr. Christy Swallow in September of 2017. I practice dentistry in a remote part of my state only three days per month. A few days after one of my clinic days, a patient who underwent a difficult extraction began experiencing swelling, pain, and a fever. I prescribed antibiotics and narcotics over the phone, but they did not manage her issues, and she needed someone to look at the extraction site to assess the problem. No other dentist practice was within 30 miles. The patient cannot drive that far, and she is not comfortable making the trip while taking pain pills. The emergency department physician is comfortable giving her stronger antibiotics in hopes of helping, but is not capable of diagnosing whether the extraction site is healing as it should. I will not return to town for another two weeks, and I do not have access to digital records. Is it ethical to maintain a practice model of itinerant dentistry that provides care regularly to patients without having reasonable emergency care arrangements in place? Please tell us about yourself and where you practice. Thank you, Alex. I have enjoyed a private practice in periodontics for the last 33 years. I uh, truly enjoy what I do both in private practice and in volunteering for the departments of periodontics and community and preventive dentistry at LSU. How did you end up specializing in periodontics? And I know you're also very much involved in the American College. Could you tell me about that involvement? Sure. I, I have since graduation from residency enjoyed staying active in advocacy and volunteerism, both locally as well as nationally. I was fortunately a recipient of the ACD Celia Dawes Scholarship, which in part subsidized my master's in healthcare ethics from Creighton University, which I completed in 2017. This was likely my springboard for what was a wonderful four years serving on the Council of Ethics, Bylaws, and Judicial Affairs of the ADA. It's also likely the reason I was asked to teach professionalism and development courses to first and third years at the school starting about six years ago. I also serve on the editorial board of a recently implemented electronic version of the JACD or uh, Journal of American College of Dentists and my particular interest is in dental ethics related to the institutionalized elderly and hospice patients, which was the subject of my capstone project. Oftentimes, with this group of patients, it's necessary to engage in itinerant dentistry, as many institutions have no dentist or dental professional of any type at all on their staff. I found your article quite thought-provoking, and I imagine it to be relevant for so many dentists in the U.S. I appreciate you bringing it forward and being available to discuss it further. My pleasure, Dr. Melian. It's a subject that could most certainly be evaluated and discussed further. I especially appreciate how you applied uh, all five pillars of ethics to this topic. Um, autonomy, maleficence, um, beneficence, justice, and veracity. Uh, let's start where, where you started with autonomy in the article. I found it interesting you chose to first mention safeguarding uh, patient confidentiality. I don't know that I would have seen that angle. Can you expand a little bit more on that? You're right. Uh, this does rather take on a special angle, as while it's necessary to adequately guard patient confidentiality, the patient 
must be made aware of the fact that it is possible and even likely that in his or her practitioner's absence, their information may need to be shared with another person whom they have not met yet nor agreed to see for care. Educating the patient in this regard will benefit both caregiver and patient should an untoward incident occur once the dentist has left the area, not to return for some time later. You know, thank you for giving that background. You also mentioned informed consent under autonomy. When practicing in remote areas, I would think this would be very important to include in emergency care in the consent. Can you expand on possible ways the informed consent could be completed? Certainly. Itinerant dentistry consent forms, while they might look basically like standard dental office forms, should go a step further in explaining issues such as where and how to seek help in the post-operative absence of the treating itinerant practitioner. For example, it should be made clear that one's medical history, radiographs, and other pertinent elements found in the chart may need to be shared with other equivalent caregivers in the best care for the patient. Further, and especially in cases of more serious treatment when possible, the form might be mailed or emailed to the patient ahead of time to respectfully give proper notice to the patient were the consent form not to be in tandem with the patient's preferences. Perhaps, and in a case of a difficult extraction, for example, the patient would rather find arrangements to travel two hours rather than see the dentist who does the same. People vary in their preferences and tolerances. It's including things such as this that help satisfy the autonomous side of the patient itinerant practitioner consent agreement. Next, you talk about non-malfeasance. This one always seems to be pretty self-explanatory, but you use it in the sense of knowing your limitations as a practitioner, and I appreciate that side. Could you expand on the limitations of an itinerant provider? Yes, thank you. The practitioner should consider all the limitations indigenous to any patients undergoing desired treatment. This would include any factors that affect the procedure type being performed. For example, do I have all the materials and equipment needed to perform my procedure properly and within the patient's level of tolerance, both physically and psychologically? Interesting. Are there procedures that you would only do in your main office location because you're concerned about possible complications and limited patient follow-up? Yes, Alex. Uh, some procedures that we do may require two or even three assistants for efficiency relative to patient welfare. Perhaps the itinerant dentist travels with fewer staff than are in the main office. Also, some procedures may require specialized instruments or equipment that may not typically be stored in the satellite location. Therefore, it's best to know as much about a treatment plan before committing to putting it on the schedule as well as to make every attempt to have the proper means by which to bring the treatment that was planned to successful fulfillment. No, and I think that that's really important uh, point just to keep in mind before it's scheduled. Sometimes that there's urgency to do that, but taking a step back makes, makes a difference with that. Um, the next pillar is beneficence, um, which aligns very closely with what we just talked about. And also, it's somewhat obvious, but you use this in the sense of being prepared for those unexpected complications that may arise. Can you share more about the preparedness and its importance in doing good? I agree. Uh, beneficence and maleficence are very similar in their natures. So in addition to what we have already mentioned, it would be important to consider where one could get proper medical attention should it be necessary, for example. Um, will the patient need someone to stay with him or her throughout the appointment? Who will care for the patient following the procedure, particularly if the patient needs to be brought to another dental professional for follow-up treatment? 
And next, you discuss in detail fairness. And this leads to a greater discussion on follow-up preparedness for an emergency. Is there anything else you would like to share on this topic regarding preparedness? I think we should do everything we can to make it easy on the patient or caregiver to access assistance following treatment should the case arise. Having a list of phone numbers on hand for local emergency rooms, nearest dentists, and the like would be helpful. And I think it's only reasonable to say that fairness or justice includes making another trip to a satellite if there is absolutely no other way for the patient to get the care they need. And our last pillar of ethics is veracity or truthfulness. I believe you have shown how important it is for the itinerant dentist to be open and honest about the treatment provided, uh, the use of informed consent, preparing for emergencies according to doing no harm and doing good. I see this pillar moving through all the previous discussions. Is there any other thoughts you have on the topic of truthfulness? Well, we may ask ourselves, if we have all the forms needed for proper information gathering and giving, have our patients been somehow contacted ahead of time to make sure they understand the basics of itinerant dentistry and the limitations therein? Veracity is also very important in not only building patient trust and comfort, but also in assuring the procedure and the post-op phases run as smoothly as possible. Great, thank you for that. And then just out of curiosity, is this story based on an actual occurrence or tell me a little bit about how this article came to be? Well, Dr. Ken Merritt, uh, another CBJA member, began this article as one of the monthly submissions that CBJA members are asked to submit to the JADA. These can be found under the ethical moment section of each journal issue, that's my plug. <laughs> so the question posed at the beginning, which prompted our answers, was actually fabricated for educational purposes. Okay, wonderful, and I, I know we highlight these articles on many of the episodes here, and the, the link to the article will be in the show notes, and a special thank you for Dr. Merritt for being the, the primary author, and you as well, Dr. Swallow, for being, being on the article as well. Is there any other advice that you would like to discuss from an ethics standpoint? I know we talked about with ACD a little bit, um, just your involvement, but anything that you would like to leave everybody with? I think the main thing is to, to get involved and give back. We're standing on the shoulders of giants, and I think that we need to be the next set of shoulders for future generations to enjoy all that we have over the last 150 years of dental ethics. So be involved, practice the golden rule, and don't forget to thank people who came before you. Wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Swallow. This has been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed sitting down with you, and thank you for taking the time, and good luck with all your ACD uh, responsibilities at the meeting here at SmileCon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's yeah. been a pleasure. Thanks. A final note about the episode. Please see the show notes for a link to the original article, and stay tuned for future episodes. At the close of the episode, continue listening to hear the sections of the ADA's Principles of Ethics and Code of Professional Conduct pertinent to the original Ethical Moment article. Thank you for keeping ethics at the forefront of the dental profession, and join Sibja as we continue to solve dental dilemmas. This article discusses all five sections of the ADA's Principles of Ethics and Code of Professional Conduct. These sections are as follows. Section 1, Patient Autonomy. The dentist has a duty to respect the patient's rights to self-determination and confidentiality. This principle expresses the concept that professionals have a duty to treat the patient according to the patient's desires, within the bounds of accepted treatment, and to protect the patient's confidentiality. 
Under this principle, the dentist's primary obligations include involving patients and treatment decisions in a meaningful way, with due consideration being given to the patient's needs, desires, and abilities, and safeguarding the patient's privacy. Section 2, Non-Maleficence. The dentist has a duty to refrain from harming the patient. This principle expresses the concept that professionals have a duty to protect the patient from harm. Under this principle, the dentist's primary obligations include keeping knowledge and skills current, knowing one's own limitations, and when to refer to a specialist or other professional, and knowing when and under what circumstances delegation of patient care to auxiliaries is appropriate. Section 3, Beneficence. The dentist has a duty to promote the patient's welfare. This principle expresses a concept that professionals have a duty to act for the benefit of others. Under this principle, the dentist's primary obligation is to service the patient and the public at large. The most important aspect of this obligation is the competent and timely delivery of dental care within the bounds of clinical circumstances presented by the patient, with due consideration being given to the needs, desires, and values of the patient. The same ethical considerations apply whether the dentist engages in fee-for-service, managed care, or some other practice arrangement. Dentists may choose to enter their, their contracts governing the provision of a care to a group of patients. However, contract obligations do not excuse dentists from their ethical duty to put the patient's welfare first. Section 4, Justice. The dentist has a duty to treat people fairly. This principle expresses a concept that professionals have a duty to be fair in their dealings with patients, colleagues, and society. Under this principle, the dentist's primary obligations include dealing with people justly and delivering dental care without prejudice. In its broadest sense, this principle expresses the concept that the dental profession should actively seek allies throughout society on specific activities that will help them improve access to care for all. Section 5, Veracity. The dentist has a duty to communicate truthfully. This principle expresses a concept that professionals have a duty to be honest and trustworthy in their dealings with people. Under this principle, the dentist's primary obligations include respecting the position of trust inherent in the dentist-patient relationship, communicating truthfully and without deception, and maintaining intellectual integrity. Remember to keep ethics at the forefront of your daily practice, and stay tuned to Sibja Decode's Dental Dilemmas.